I think theology is for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. <laughs> Hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? Welcome to the podcast, folks. This is Michael Patton and Theology Unplugged. I'm joined here in the studio at the Credo House of Theology, Edmond, Oklahoma, by Tim and Sam. Welcome, guys. Good to have you all. Good Good to be be here. here. Um, uh, We're continuing our discussion today about uh, uh, that we started last week and we tried to get to, and we'll just jump right into it if we can. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't know if we have any any special announcements or anything to make. Let's jump away. Uh, you know what, though? We are almost certain, I know we've said this in the past, but we're almost certain that this podcast will probably the, be the first podcast on our brand new website. High probability. Now, let, let, let me qualify this. Do we edit this, this out? If No, let me qualify this, because the website is pretty much done, so Michael is is a little bit slowing me down, I must say, in getting the website online. But we're just, Because you should be working on it right we're now, We're tweaking right? it. I should be, but uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be in here instead. But let's just say, though, there is a very high probability that this will be our inaugural podcast on our brand new website all right well, well you may have gotten it on itunes jump from itunes or you may be on your ipod or iphone or android yeah listening to this but bring up our new website yeah head on it, over it, to, it's a good to, looking uh, new website yeah credohouse.org more to come more but to come. this is this is the first taste of our new look yeah and a lot more functionality do we, do we have our new name yet uh, I don't know. We might have to keep that in the back of our pocket. Okay. So. But, but that is a tease that we are moving into a new name. All right. Well, we're going to uh, continue today talking about what we began last time. And last time was, was, in a sense, a tribute to John Piper. We have Sam Storms here in the studio with us. And Sam Storms has helped co-edit a book uh, for the fame of God's name. He co-edited with uh, Justin Taylor and multiple authors. How many authors? Uh, 27, I think. 27 authors who wow. came together, surprised John with this book. Well, I saw the presentation online. That's why I thought, hey, we ought to do a podcast to this. This was a great presentation. Haven't gotten the book yet, but uh, Sam has brought us a book here today in the studio, so we're going to uh, take that from his hands with uh, great delight. <laughs> and uh, we, we, we want to talk to Sam specifically today about his contribution to this book, many great contributions. I think everybody ought to get the book and just – just see, uh, in a sense, I mean, as we talked about last time, this is not the way he'd want himself to be described, but as someone who is a, a great historic leader of the church, John Piper. Mm-hmm. Sam contributed a chapter, uh, and this chapter focuses on something that Piper focuses on, but also something that Sam is uh, known for, and this is this idea of Christian hedonism. Christian hedonism, and I don't know if anybody's ever even heard of the word hedonism, but normally if they have, it's not in a good context. Yeah. So, so, so I mean, let, it, let's discuss that. I mean, and, and Christian really, hedonism. It's like, it's like saying Christian, Christian um, murder. Drunk, drunkenness. Christian drunkenness. Christian uh, uh, just... I don't know. I mean, it's an oxymoron. Is that what we would call most it? of the words you're thinking of? You're you're, yeah, you're self filtering. 
<laughs> You're like, Christian, no, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> so, Sam, give us, first of all, you said, was it 1986 was Desiring God yes. first came out? Would you say that's kind of when this term really first came on the scene? Oh, I, I'm, I'm almost certain that it is. I don't know of anyone who had used uh, the two terms together before. Okay. Obviously, hedonism is... Uh, as a philosophy of life has been around for quite some time the the idea that choices ought to be made based upon their capacity to maximize personal pleasure regardless of what the uh, widespread co- uh, effects of that choice may be or uh, its nature whatever whatever will um, intensify your own personal pleasure that is what uh, governs uh, the decision making process and so for John to append the adjective Christian to that Christian hedonism was a shock. And, of course, he did it deliberately. He has an appendix in his book, Desiring God, why he chose the term. And he said one of the reasons is I want to shock people. I want to jolt them so they'll stop and think. Uh, And his point basically uh, is this, that we are all hedonists in the sense that we all do desire pleasure. We all have an innate yearning uh, and um, longing to be pleased, to be satisfied, to be thrilled, to be excited. Uh, But we are Christian hedonists because we believe that um, the greatest joy and the deepest and most long-lasting pleasure is that which is found in God and all that he is for us in Jesus. Uh, John, I think, in in articulating this view, and by the way, it's not new with him. The, The terminology is the label, but the concept is by no means new. I can still remember reading um, J.I. Packer in um, a book that I think is now out of print. It was entitled Hot Tub Religion. I don't know if you all remember that. Incredible collection uh, if, of essays by If Packer. it is in print, it probably has a different title. <laughs> well, yeah, there's an interesting story about that title of that book, too, that Packer writes about. But in his book, Hot Tub Religion, Packer articulates Christian hedonism beautifully, but he doesn't use that language. Um, certainly, um, Jonathan Edwards uh, um, was a, a champion of this view. In fact, John would say that Edwards was the greatest influence on his life. C.S. Lewis was a radical Christian hedonist. Uh, Thomas Aquinas, John Wesley. I mean, I have quote Wesley on a couple occasions in one of my books where he articulates it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Augustine, um, and certainly we believe the biblical authors. So there's a long uh, heritage for this concept uh, in the in the history of the Christian Church, so it wasn't created by Piper. It was, I think, refined and articulated in a fresh and meaningful way by him. Uh, well, in a shocking you, way. Yeah. Well, so. and you had mentioned that Piper has a love for for this sentence more than the book, and yes. so with that idea that he purposefully, I'm sure, spent a lot of time crafting that short, pithy two words in order to communicate what he wanted to in an entire book. Yes. Now, your your ministry that you have that that's kind of a side ministry. You're you're a pastor, uh, and at the same time, you've had a, a website called Enjoying God Ministries. Yes, which seems to be based upon that. I noticed you didn't do Christian hedonism ministries. <laughs> now, now I have to say that I. I I just now looked at Christian hedonism ministries up. Don't go there. Okay? Don't <laughs> Dude, don't you, search. You don't just, Google it. You need don't a, type it in. Not not a dot com. Not dot gore, dot net. All of them. Just just don't. You need a filter on your <laughs> laptop, Michael. That's I'm right. just kidding. It's not that. Well, it's 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 got some weird. <laughs> all right. They they already have enough press time. <laughs> Christian hedonism, though it's uh, it, it's taken. 
it, it's taken, but uh, but go, it's taken by someone else. I, think. I don't to. think this is your site. Well, and, and again, the, the the stumbling block is the word hedonism, obviously, and people think that um, that it must be a rather selfish. Uh, approach to the, to life, which is obs- uh, obsessed with the state of my own soul and how I'm feeling and um, and whatever I do, and maybe I'm using God or I'm using Christians or I'm using the Bible or the church to maximize my own personal enjoyment, and that is a, a horrible, horrible distortion of what uh, we mean by the, the terminology. What we're saying is, and again, this is. John's very famous sentence, probably the one for which he's more well-known than any other. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And Christian hedonism really is about how is God most glorified? Everybody agrees. All Christians would never dispute the fact that we are here to glorify God, to honor and uh, to exalt him. The question is, what is the most biblical and effective way in which God can be glorified? And John's point is, it's by our experiencing in a very holistic way, mind, spirit, body, soul, affections, a deep, durable satisfaction in who God is. Uh, when, When you understand that it's a satisfaction in God, that it's a delight in God, it's joy in God, the focus is taken off of what we are experiencing and it's placed on the one who is capable of eliciting that kind of experience. So the focus of Christian hedonism is the beauty and the the majesty of who God is in Jesus and how that uh, enables the human heart to find um, that for which it was created. Uh, basically, another little phrase that John has used that I've co-opted from him in various ways is, pleasure is the measure of our treasure. I know it's kind of cheesy sounding, <laughs> but bear with me. Pleasure is the measure of our treasure. And the point is this. How do you measure your treasure? How do you evaluate the worth and the value of that which you prize most? And John's point is, it is by the degree of pleasure that it awakens in you. It's the delight that you have in it. And so his point is, is that God is most magnified. His beauty, his greatness, his grace, his kindness, his love, his authority, his power, all of his attributes are most vividly seen and made known by the depth and the intensity of the delight that it awakens in us, his people, whom he has redeemed. Um, Another interesting phrase that I think helps people. If I were to ask you, how do you most effectively exalt God? E-X-A-L-T. And John's answer is, it is when you exalt in God. E-X-U-L-T. It's a slight, just one letter of difference, but it's the key to everything. You exalt God when you exalt in God. God is glorified when you are glad in him. The term Christian hedonism, I think uh, Christian selfishness. I think Christian epicureanism. You know, it's mm-hmm. this idea, the Epicureans and the Stoics, and the Stoics are separate from 
pleasures or, or deniers of self and the Epicureans are fulfillers of self. Does that help? If I was to say, okay, let's continue with the shock statements. I'm a Christian who is selfish, but in my selfishness, I am finding that which satisfies and glorifies God the most. Or, or, or put it this way, I'm finding that which glorifies the God the most because God has created me in such a way that whenever I find that and whenever I find that purpose and whenever I, whenever I say my purpose is to exalt you, I am fulfilled in a pleasure that I have never, I can't experience in any other way, any other uh, sinful way or distorted way or, or any other way. So in, in a sense, we as Christians, we, we do seek to satisfy ourselves, understanding the only way to satisfy ourselves is through the glory of God. We there? We're there. I'll preach it. Uh, let me make a, a very important distinction here because you raised the terminology. There is a vast, vast difference between being selfish and being and having an interest in self. All of us, by God's design, are concerned for the state of our own souls, and that's not evil. All of us want what is best for our own lives, our own spirit, our own souls. If that were not the case then Jesus' exhortation to us in the Gospels would have no meaning or force uh, whatsoever when he said, um, if you want to save your own soul, then you lose it for my sake. In other words, Jesus is saying, you do want to preserve your soul, don't you? And it's a good thing that you do. Well, let me tell you the most effective way in which that's done. It's by losing it in the pursuit of me. It is by sacrificing uh, your trust in things that this world can offer and devoting yourself wholly to me. So he's appealing to our self-interest. Self-interest is not sin. Hmm. Selfishness is. Selfishness is a desire for what is best for me to the exclusion of anyone else. I don't care what how it affects you. I don't care what God may think or say or how he may feel. I just want to absorb for the sake of my own welfare. Christian hedonism says that we take note of our commitment to self-interest and we recognize that the greatest thing that we can do for our own souls is to delight in, to know, to magnify, to find satisfaction, excitement, intrigue, uh, joy in who God is. So we exalt him through exalting in what he has done for us in Christ and how he has made himself known. The pleasures of God, taking pleasure. That's another key word that is used in, in these contexts. We, we, we talk a lot about, uh, you know, whenever we're dealing with apologetics or Christian philosophy, this uh, census divinitatis, this this void that everybody has, mm -hmm. you know, we use it apologetically in the sense that we're talking to unbelievers or this, how do you explain that everybody has sought in their life to find something to worship that we are humans are innately those who, who, who are seeking something that is greater than them. The, they are seeking God. And, and this is really taking it to the next step and saying, no, no, that doesn't end 
once you become a Christian or you convince somebody that, that there is a void in their heart and, and fill that with God by accepting God or trusting in Christ. But it's the rest of our life. We are still, we are still trying to fill that void because that void is the, what makes us run in such a way, not, not efficiently, not just efficiently, but us as humans, we have this void that, that whenever the void is filled perfectly, we, we function fully and our satisfaction in life and pleasure is complete only whenever we continue to fill that. Instead of, well, I fill it in, in the sense for my salvation, or right whenever I get saved, but then I begin this big struggle and I'm not really sure how to be happy afterwards. I'm not really sure how to find enjoyment. But the rest of our life, Christian hedonism is saying, God, whenever we are satisfied, whenever we are filled with you completely, that is whenever we find the most pleasure, the most enjoyment, and the most... Satisfaction. And in that, God is honored. In that, God is most highly honored. Uh, I think part of the problem, too, comes from the fact that Christians have been beat up and hammered uh, over the centuries, and especially in the present day, by those who have, I think, with good intentions but really misguided, uh, telling them that their desire for joy or a concern for the satisfaction of their hearts uh, is uh, an expression of sin. That it's that we just need to to put that aside altogether and just go serve and honor God, and I think they fail to realize, as I said, that the way in which God wants to be magnified most is by the delight and the pleasure that we find in Him. Now, let me give you an, an illustration. Uh, again, this is one that that John articulated. I've kind of changed it a little bit here and there, uh, but most Christians have this idea that well, isn't it enough just for me to perform my duty? I'll, I'll get up in the morning, I'll salute God, I'll go through the day discharging um, uh, my duty before him, obeying his commands, avoiding the things that he's told me uh, to stay away from. Isn't that enough? Why, why should I be concerned about how I feel, my affections, my emotions, my passions? And here's the illustration that, that John gives. He said, imagine it's uh, my 30th wedding anniversary, and I come home and I walk in the back door with 30 red roses and I'll just use my wife. And, and, and I say, Ann, I said, I'd like to give you these roses. It's our anniversary. And she just begins to fall apart. She weeps. She's, re- she's so happy. She said, oh, these are the most beautiful roses in the world. Why did you do that? And I extend my hand to her to restrain her zeal. And I say, there, there. It was my duty as a husband. Well, that's not going to go over real well. Yeah, Wrong I response. Yeah. It doesn't. Go I did over that yesterday. Well. Bad dumb answer. Idea. Because suddenly, the the joy that was awakened in her heart is crushed because my motivation was merely out of duty. So let's suppose that I I come to my senses and I realize the mistake I've made, and I say, "Well, let's go out to dinner tonight," and I take her to her favorite restaurant. And the music is playing, and the candlelight is is flickering, and she has her favorite food, and it's just a wonderful moment. But she's still a little suspicious of my intentions. And so she looks at me, and she says, all right, why are you doing this? And I say with heartfelt sincerity, because nothing brings me more joy than being with you right now. 
Now, how's she going to respond to that? Is she going to say, well, there you go again, obsessed with your joy and what makes you happy and what makes you feel good? Mm-hmm. No, she's going to say, really? I, I, you'd rather be here with me than watching a baseball game? You'd rather be here than with anybody else? I, I awaken that kind of satisfaction in you? You see, that's how she's honored. The measure of my treasure, go back to that little phrase, the the way you gauge or evaluate the depth of the worth of that which I prize is the degree of the pleasure that I find in it. My pleasure in my wife is a reflection on her value and her honor. So um, Christian hedonism is simply saying, that we do not detract from God's greatness by being concerned about our gladness in him. We magnify it. Psalm 1611, where David says, In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. That's not just a description. That's an incentive to pursue God. Why do we pursue God? Why, why does David appeal to us? to run hard after him because in his presence, in his person, in who he is, we find pleasures that never end. We find a joy that is consummate and full and rich, unlike the the pathetic little pleasures that people trust in in this life. So Christian hedonism says, come to God for the delight and the joy that you find in him, for in doing so, his value, his beauty, his greatness is prized and proclaimed and made known far beyond um, anything else, any other way, any other means could possibly achieve. Wow. So in this book, uh, For the Fame of God's Name, with you and Justin Taylor being the editors, what was, after all that John Piper has written on this, spoken on this, after all that you've written on similar topics and spoken on it, when you thought of, hey, I'm going to write a chapter on Christian hedonism, and what what did you want to communicate in that chapter? What was your objective, and what did you feel like you wanted to say that hasn't been said already? Well, uh, <laughs> or I mean, yeah, take, no, I understand. I, I've got an know. answer. I've got an answer okay. for you. People have often referred to my books as Piper for Dummies. Okay, <laughs> and I'm compliment. I take that as a huge compliment. In the sense that sometimes they'll read Desiring God or The Pleasures of God or When I Don't Desire God, and they say, John is so thick. I mean, sometimes his concepts are so deep and so challenging. And So I've tried at times to simplify it, to explain it in maybe a little bit more layman's terms, because John's mind is just off the charts. Well, you've you've done that for Jonathan Edwards as well. Yeah, tried to. And so... um, what I wanted to do in this chapter was I wanted to clarify what John meant. Uh, actually, the subtitle is John Piper and Jonathan Edwards on Christian Hedonism. I wanted to try to bring uh, in, a, in a somewhat simplified and easy-to-grasp way what are the fundamental concepts in Christian Hedonism, and I articulate seven of them. If you can understand these seven points, you'll understand the issue. And then I have a, a little practical exercise at the back where I – I actually expound or explain one of Jonathan Edwards' sermons and show how practical and life-changing, especially in your battle with temptation, Christian hedonism can be. So really I wanted to bring um, uh, a 
a concise um, clarification, maybe dealing with some of the objections people have and trying to explain the terminology that John has used to help make this idea more uh, accessible to these, the average Christian. So this could be a really good primer for someone who maybe is brand new to this concept and wants to, first of all, just get on a foundation of getting used to the terms and just getting used to thinking in this direction. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, coming to a fork in the road, you know, the practical speaking, and you said this, you know, dealing with temptation. And, and you come to this fork in the road where where the temptation is to choose – a sin rather than B not sin, and you put it in that way, sin not sin. You can sometimes put it in the way of fun not fun. You know, uh, as we said earlier, Epicurean Stoic, uh, self pleasure, self denial, uh, um, selfishness, uh, going towards God, and so we put God in all these terms that are denial. Uh, keeping from doing that which you want to do so that we can be more godly and and more stoic in a sense. That is completely the opposite of what Christian hedonism says. Precisely. Let me give you one example. I think everybody's familiar with this in Hebrews 11, the, the account of Moses. Just listen to Hebrews 11 beginning with verse 24. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, now think about that. To be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, think of all the, the wealth, the pleasure, the fun, the sex, the fame, the power that that would have brought to him. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So here are these pleasures of sin that are there in Egypt. Everything that you could possibly imagine at your beck and call 24-7 and so people read that and they say, well, I think I'd rather have the pleasures of Egypt. Uh, why would Moses make such a stupid choice? Uh, that makes sense. Well, then the next te- verse answers. It tells us why. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So basically what Moses did is he he did an evaluation. He looked at all that the world was offering, all the pleasures of Egypt, and he compared it with the wealth and the pleasures of embracing the reproach of Christ and setting his eyes upon his ultimate and final reward. And he said, the pleasures of Egypt don't stand a chance. They're nothing compared to the pleasures of knowing God and living in obedience to him. Now, for a lot of people, that doesn't make sense because, as you articulated, to them it sounds like, well, I want to have fun. I want to, I want to experience things. I want to, I, my heart yearns for excitement and passion. And what the Word of God is telling us, this is one of many texts, the Word of God is telling us is that you will find that most um, perfectly and in a, in a consummate way far beyond what the world can offer, in Christ, in knowing Jesus, in being known by him, in experiencing the blessings of forgiveness and adoption and uh, the knowledge of who he is and seeing his beauty in Scripture and in creation. Uh, That's why David said what he did. He said, in God's presence is fullness of joy. He said, I know 
that the world offers joy, but it's partial, it's fleeting, it's temporary, it's ultimately a lie, it's shallow, it, it lasts for a moment. He said, you want fullness of joy, joy that fills up and spills out. It's in God's presence. All of us want pleasures. David's saying, but same thing that Moses did. They're fleeting. They're transient. You want pleasures that last forever and ever, that never lose their capacity to enthrall the human heart. You'll find it in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So, any idea that the Christian life is a call to crucify the, the basic instinctive human hunger for happiness and joy is a distortion. Hmm. It is That's not. It is a way to maximize our desire for joy and our capacity for pleasure in the only person and the only place that that can be found, and that's in a relationship with Jesus. Hmm. And, and, you know, here's here's where it ends is that we are believers. We're not those who believed one time, and now we're in this uh, game that is uh, troublesome, hard, difficult, sad only. But but we're believers, and, and everything you have just said is so hard to believe. To go down this road rather than that road will actually be more pleasureful. But I think I think that whenever people end up taking that road, you know, whenever you have one day you compare to the next day. One day I chose the wrong road. How did I feel as a Christian? Mm-hmm. And you feel miserable. Then you deny yourself in that sense. To in order to feel satisfied the next day, and you felt felt you know I'm glad I denied that because the pleasure of God, the pleasure of of not taking the road most traveled, is something that fulfills me greater than anything else. The other thing breaks me more than anything else, and breaks you doesn't fulfill you. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, Christian hedonism. Seeking our greatest pleasure because that is uh, that which God has innately put within us. The void is not sin, filled with sin, and and those things that uh, we think often will satisfy us. Hey, folks, it's been a great broadcast uh, talking about Christian hedonism. We're going to come back, talk a little bit more next time, and we hope that you're able to join us. For Tim, for Sam, I'm Michael. This is Theology Unplugged. You've been listening to Theology Unplugged. Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes store. All episodes are available as free downloads. Theology Unplugged is made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you've enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. For information on how to become a ministry partner and for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit the RMM homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.